Hello, fellow friends, family degenerates, and welcome to another edition of Caged Wisdom MMA. My name is Josh, and I am your co-host, along with Buck Schlurf over at MMA Nerd. Buck, quick hello, buddy. Hey, everyone. I am excited for a pay-per-view without John Jones winning. Yeah, but we're going we're gonna to recap that here in just a second, because uh, if you listen to the podcast, it sounds like we said we both selected Cyril Gaon to win that fight to the untrained ear. But if you really dig deeper and peel back the onion layers, I think what you're going to find out is that we uh, we both selected John Jones, correct? Oh, I definitely I knew that was going to happen. And, and anybody who was like a real astute listener would would feel the same way. Yeah, it was just more it's more about you guys than us at this point in time. But uh, UFC 286 coming up, man, the uh, the UFC has been really throwing these things back to back with that ESPN deal. Uh, normally, they're about once every four to five weeks. I feel like it's been once every two weeks ever since the start of the year. So this has been a little bit crazy. Uh, but there have been some definitely some good fights. Uh, I do want to recap really quick with John Jones. Uh, does he belong at the number one pound for pound right now on that list? Do you believe that? You know, I think I think he always was pound for pound. And I think if he wasn't pound for pound already, this wasn't this wouldn't be enough to earn that. But I think because he was pound for pound and then left, this this showing when he comes back, I think that's enough to to have him regain that spot. I mean, it was just so dominant. It, it was. It, at first, I thought it was a little bit unfair just because it's been, you know, there's so many more people that are active at this point in time. Uh, but what I saw that night on UFC 285 was unbelievable. You know, I didn't even think he had anything quite yet. It didn't look like he had his hand, you know, it was probably the angle of the camera at that point in time. But uh, impressive performance. And, and yeah, so John, I don't think there's really any question anymore that John Jones, as much as, uh, you know, outside of the octagon, he may not be the person I want my kids to emulate. But inside the octagon, he is the greatest of all time, in my opinion. I mean, that was just a, a really dominant performance. When when I was preparing for this, I was just seeing a lot of stand-up from him, and he wasn't doing a lot of takedowns. He was shooting, um, but it was really, you know, few and far between when he was shooting on Dominic Reyes. But, man, to put on as much, like, muscle mass as he did and to sh- just, like, get right around one of those you know, those big charging crosses from gone, get right on him and never let him go for a second. That's, he that's made, really he made it look really, really easy to take him down like that. He made it look easy. Gone had nothing. Like almost, almost was, like a fluke. It seemed like, didn't it? Yeah. Like he tripped, like you something was wrong like, with it. it. It almost seemed so easy that it looked, um, like almost there could have been an injury on Gone's side that allowed him to fall down that quickly. And he almost looked dejected Man. right when he got down to the ground. It's mm-hmm. almost like he came I mean, in it with seems the lack like the, of confidence. The fluke was him getting there. The fluke was gone getting to that title shot and not having any ground game yeah, whatsoever. No, you th- you'd think that would be all that they focused on in the training camp. Especially after his performance against Francis. Yeah. You know, here I thought the 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 takedown from Francis in the third round took took everybody by surprise took me by surprise so i imagine that cyril gone wasn't preparing for that i don't think the mma factory was preparing for that at all mm-hmm. but surely they should have known that that was going to happen in a john jones fight there they should have anticipated that but i, I man, think maybe the nerves got to him or you know 
they practice getting up. I don't know, man. I mean, it looked like he had a plan when he got to the ground. He got his back up to the fence. Uh, but, you know, John Jones being John Jones, I, I just didn't think he was going to have the power uh, in the in the grappling to hold him down to that to that level, right? You know, Nagano, yeah. you know, cuts down to 265. It makes sense. He's not as big of a submission threat. But John Jones doing that after coming up from 205, holding him down and then throwing on a submission – up against the cage. Anyway, it, it was pretty spectacular. I don't want to go hammer that too much because we got to, you know, 286. And 286, you know, just looking at the card, it's it's got some marquee fights on it. And I would say uh, um, Justin Gaethje is probably my favorite fighter to watch in the UFC. So I'm really excited about that. And we'll, we'll break down all the different fights are going to be going. We're just going to be focusing on the main card. We're going to give our, our prediction, what we think is going to happen. Um, one more thing we'll get into. I know that you, this is near and dear to your heart at this point. We're talking about the UFC in the current state is the power slap promotion. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think it did in the ratings what the UFC was hoping it would do, which I don't know what their possible expe- expectations could have been, but they're not going to be re-signed for a second season, are they? Un- unfortunate. Yep. I thought me hate watching every single episode over and over and over again was going to be enough to carry it across the finish line, but apparently not. Apparently not. That's a shame. It, I can't. I, I mean, that it almost seemed like Dana White's pet project. So neither here nor what there. What would we do in a world without power slap? Yep. Uh, thrive is what I would say. Thrive. <laughs> hey, uh, before we get too far away from UFC 285, I did just want to circle back and touch on two more fights that I was really, really impressed with, and of course, I have to, I have to mention Alexa Grasso upsetting yeah, Valentina no Shevchenko with a rear naked choke. Amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. And I, I don't know if you saw. Did. did you see the picture of it afterwards, where um, Shevchenko's face was like totally white? Yeah, like her jaw was. To- like that choke was it was, it was not, not a, choke. a choke at all. No, it was, a crank. was or, it wasn't it was a on the neck. It was just right across the jaw. That was incredible. Yep. Like she had that and never ever was gonna let go. Yeah, but it, it also a, killed my parlay. So I was not. <laughs> I was. Not, I was two thirds of the way home, and that that destroyed because I thought you know for sure going into that fight, you know, because you get offered a buyback, and I was like, no chance. This is this is an absolute deadlock, dead to rights. Mm-hmm. And it was up to was it round four that it got finished in? Uh, it might have been, yeah, it might have been three or four. I think it was four. It was the championship rounds. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, that one killed me. What's the other one, man? And then the other one was um, the star making performance of Shavkat Rachmanov. Yeah, uh, you know, it kind of went how I thought. Rachmanov doesn't have the best defense, but man, does he have a chin? He took some cracks. That really was his version of Bern, uh, Burns Chimaev. And to to get a standing rear naked and yeah, that just was drop him to the canvas and walk away like that was incredible. It was. Uh, I will say, though, in that performance, because he did look so, look so hittable, uh, I have mm-hmm. some concerns about his ability to perform in the top top five. Yeah, well, it's the same with uh, Chimaev after Burns. Yeah. Every, you know, everyone thought he was invincible, and then he goes out there and gets, you know, whooped on, and, you know, comes out the other side, still has the W, still has a... But there's a difference you know, between Burns and, I don't know, who did he fight again? What's his name? Um, 
Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal. Yeah, there's a there's a significant yeah. gap between those two. Mm. Well, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to go too far into it because 286. We got to talk about it. So if you, you do not know, you're gonna know. There are five fights on this card. Marvin Vittori minus 265 versus Roman Delize. I'm saying that right, right? Nailed it. At plus 285. Jennifer Maya, who is sitting at plus 145, is taking on the up-and-coming Casey O'Neill minus 170. Gunnar Nelson is minus 350, uh, taking on a late-notice Brian Barbarana, who's plus 290. Justin Gaethje plus 195, taking on, going to be the fight of the night for sure. Uh, Rafael Faziv at minus 230. And then Leon Edwards is plus 205, taking on Kamaru Usman at minus 245. Fight's going to take place in, is it London, England? Those are taking place? Yeah, I think okay. so. I think it's at the O2. All right, I'm going to try one of my new transitions out. You ready? Here we go. Maybe not. Didn't work. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Okay. All right. Never mind. All right. So once you uh, kick us off, Marvin Vittori versus Roman Delize. Go. What say you? Well, I'm so I'm excited about this one, but it's kind of unique. It's it's interesting because both of them are billed as kickboxers, but have had some some pretty great success with their grappling. Uh, in the last fight for Roman Delize, particularly. He was fighting Jack Hermanson, uh, the Swedish wrestler, and he won. I mean, he first off, he had an incredible like athletic sweep from the bottom, uh, and and to be under Jack Hermanson is a, a scary thing. Mm-hmm. And so to get out like he did um, was an awesome sweep. I, I was really excited about that. It looked really athletic, which is really cool, but at the same time makes me think that uses a lot of energy and i'll get back to that in a second but he won that fight with something i've never seen before it just looked nasty he got under hermanson and behind him and snatched up a knee bar or a calf slicer slicer. actually and the only other person i've seen do that is charles Oliveira back when he was at featherweight but instead of finishing the calf slicer he locked it in, and then used it to get back control, and then Hermanson was helpless as he got pounded out. I mean, it was a really cool finish, and, and I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, and and very cool as somebody who's billed as a kickboxer. I think he trains primarily out of Tiger Muay Thai, uh, and then he's been moving towards extreme couture, mm-hmm. which is kind of a trend. I think a lot of fighters have been moving towards extreme couture that they're, they're having a lot of success. Who, who's um, the head coach at extreme couture right now? Do you know? I think that's Eric Nixick. Okay. okay. Um, he is, so he has worked with, I think Sean Strickland is there and Chris Curtis is there. And, uh, Francis Ngannou is there. They've got, um, quite the roster. Are they are and, they there um, full time? All those guys though, they're not. They, they come in mostly I... there for the for their camps. Yeah, you know, I think it changes. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if you could. They're like regulars, but I, I see them there. You know, on Instagram and stuff, they're regularly. But I don't know if they have every single okay. camp there. I think they're aided by the fact that they can focus on just having fight coaches. Like they don't have to have a ton of extra stuff. 
all they have to do is have like like grappling coaches, striking yeah. coaches, that sort of stuff, because they can all make use of the UFC Performance Institute, which is in Vegas as well. And so all of the fighters that are training at Extreme Couture make full use of the Performance Institute, which is a huge benefit. Yeah. Which is where I think Marvin Vittori went away from King's MMA, and he's primarily training right now at the Performance Institute. Well, that's a, uh, a huge development. I, I hadn't heard that he left King's MMA, but... Um, you know, I really like Rafael Cordero, who's the head coach over yeah. there. Um, I really like what they've been doing, uh, and I like a lot of their fighters. Uh, Benil Dariush, who is fighting Charles Oliveira mm-hmm. uh, in the next month or so, is you know one of the top guys out there. So is Kelvin Gastelum and Rafael Cordero. Uh, before coming to the states and, and California to open King's MMA, he was the head coach of the original Shootabox in Curitiba, Brazil. And that was back when Shootabox was, yeah, yeah, that was uh, Vanderlei Silva. That was... um, They used to get a lot of flack there for for going so hard during the the training sessions that people would actually get knocked unconscious. mm -hmm. And they felt that it was... Yeah, Shogun. Yeah, Shogun. They felt like it was uh, uh, derailing their careers... And getting him too chinny because they never had nothing left for the you know I guess pride was the the primary one then yeah they were going I to. mean it was it was definitely an old school gym yeah. but legends none the nonetheless well let me ask you a question though with Roman Delize you know his last win mm-hmm. coming off Jack Hermanson taking on Marvin Vittori who's you know basically alternating losses against Israel Adesanya and um, uh, who else did he lose to um, Robert, Robert Whitaker. Whitaker. I'm curious how this this match makes sense for Marvin Vittori, right? Like, it, it seems like a really good opportunity for Roman. But with Vittori mm-hmm. in his position right now, uh, what do you think it is? you think he just couldn't find somebody? I I think he just – he you're right. I think it's wins and losses. He beat – yeah, I think he beat Kevin Holland He's in that, to in get that the no title shot. a little bit right now. Yeah, it's just the problem when – you know, he lost to Adesanya when Adesanya was on the way up, mm-hmm. and then then he worked his way all the way up, got a second title shot, lost again, and then I think he fought Paulo Costa after that, and that one, I don't know if you remember yeah, all the wackiness that happened around that fight. Uh, Paulo Costa just decided that he wasn't going to cut weight. Yeah, he came in super and fast. So, <laughs> yeah, that fight took place at 2.05, and Vittori just rolled with it, and looked like a monster. Mm-hmm. And Paulo Costa hits like a truck. And Vittori has, I mean, just an incredible chin. And great wrestling too. Stayed in there, and and he stayed in there for five rounds. Yeah. Like a lot of the things that that you know, people used to say about Vittori was that he would you know get angry. He he'd lose his game plan, and he would you know go too hard in like the second round and he'd gas himself by the third but man despite all the nonsense that Costa pulled at that fight you know leading up to that fight Vittori was on it he was a professional and he put in work that was an incredible fight Um, and that's what got him another title eliminator against Robert Whitaker at UFC in Paris and you know just the same thing with Adesanya Whitaker was just too slick. He just 
he moves from the, on the outside so well. He's a, he's a sniper, and 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 he can't his takedown defense. If Yoel Romero couldn't take Whitaker down, yeah, Marvin Vittori isn't going to take Whitaker. But down. I mean, Vittori still looked that, competitive in that fight. He, I mean, really he's, I mean, he's really good. Yeah, he's really but good. But I, I think the way he wins is he has like this really threatening, you know, stand up. He's he's strong. Um, but he doesn't quite have like the pop, if you know yeah. what I mean. Um, like it, even people who aren't quite as strong as Vittori have like the touch, and you can see when they hit people, it just hurts. Like Sean O'Malley is a good example of that. Whatever is in O'Malley's hands is just dynamite, and Vittori doesn't quite have that. But what he does have is real strength, like real power and real athleticism. And he has built a really solid controlling grappling style with that power and athleticism. And I think that's how he's going to beat Delizze. So what I saw from Delizze earlier in his run, you know, bringing him to this fight, uh, especially against Jack Hermanson, who granted is a very good wrestler, but Hermanson got Delizze off his feet easy twice and held him down pretty successfully. Um, I mentioned there was that sweep and that was really cool and really athletic and, and, you know, Roman turned it around and got that TKO, the ground and pound TKO at the end. But I, you know, in my head, I can see Vittori getting this fight down to the ground over and over and over again. And those big athletic sweeps that Delize can do in round one, I don't know if he's going to be able to do in round three. And Vittori's gonna be there. Vittori has never been finished, and and as as good a striker as Delize is, and, and as a surprisingly competent uh, of a grappler, I don't think he's gonna be the one to to finish Vittori. Yeah. So I'm gonna say sort of a slower paced grinding. Um, you know, there's definitely gonna be exchanges, and I think there's gonna be some fun moments, but I think. Largely, it's going to be Vittori grinding him against the cage uh, and trying to, you know, take him down and dump him and hold him there, ground and pound. Yeah, I think this is just a little bit too much too early for Delize at this point. Uh, I think Vittori, you know, we can talk about his wrestling or his striking, but the reality is that he's a a true MMA artist, right? Mixed martial artist. Mm -hmm. He's good in every aspect, and he's really good in the in-between. Uh, and you know, if you ever listen to his, his, uh, cage side interviews or, you know, the bill up to the fight, there's no mistake about it. His, his number one goal is to win the title and he's not going to back down from that. And I think that Roman is going to pose some challenges. I think he might even be a little bit of a dark horse in this fight, but I just don't see him at this point in time being able to, uh, uh, control the fight where it needs to take place in order to get the better on, on Vittori. So I'm going to say that Marvin Vittori is going to take this in a relatively lopsided decision when uh, starting in round two is when he's going to put it on him. It kind of exactly what you said. Yeah. I think the, so. The the thing I see for Delize is, um, and I don't know if he's going to be able to use this pretty successfully. Um, Charles Oliveira is the gold standard for using submission attempts off your back mm-hmm. as an opportunity to create scrambles to improve your position on the ground and get back up. Delize is really aggressive off his back, firing off submissions and things like that. If he is 
like actively throwing those uh, sub attempts from his back in an effort to create movement and exchanges and scrambles to get back up, that would be a really good strat. That would be a, a better, more reliable way for him to keep getting up after Vittori takes him down. If he's really selling out and trying to get the sub every single time, I, I think he is going to burn himself out faster than he's going to surprise Vittori. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. All right. So next fight that we're going to go on, Jennifer Maya versus the up-and-comer Casey O'Neill. Jennifer Maya is sitting at plus 145, O'Neill at minus 70. What are your thoughts on this one? You know, I've been a... Um... I've been pretty excited about Casey O'Neill uh, and and excited enough that I am still interested in her after she beat uh, Roxanne Modafferi. <laughs> and usually when a fighter beats Roxanne Modafferi, it hurts my feelings so much that I don't like that fighter yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, because Roxanne Modafferi is how did, how uh, would, a delight. How would she get in the, end <laughs> or the uh, UFC? I don't know. Anyway, well, you know, it's because she was a legend. Yeah. Uh, Roxanne Modafferi, I, you know, it, was, it must have been like two thousand and like nine. I think there was like the consensus best fighter in the world at like girl fight in Japan or something like that, and um, Modafferi came out and took it to her, and so like kind of before. WMMA was big mm -hmm. before WMMA had any like real establishment. The the best fighter in the world lost to Roxanne Modafferi. Um and so I it, it's just I think she was like 40 something at the last fight yeah. and that's just that's just rough um and to the be talent level, in the lighter weight, you know, the athleticism yeah, to be in the lighter weight classes. Now that women can make yeah. a a living doing MMA which was not the case in the early days with Roxanne mm -hmm. Modafferi. You just sense that uh, you could just tell by body type, movement, speed, power, that you know she wasn't really up to par. But man, she was she was fun to watch. Like from her personality standpoint, I really you know we're not supposed to be talking about Roxanne right now, but uh, I'll always talk yeah, about Roxanne. She she seems like a genuinely good person. I just don't think that uh, that type of athlete's days are going to last much longer in uh, women's mm -hmm. MMA because I think we're starting to see a little bit more. No, actually, a lot more talent coming through, and Casey O'Neill being one of those people. And so she's taken on a, a tough run in Jennifer Maya. Jennifer Maya is a grizzled veteran. Uh, she's fought for the title before, right? Yeah, um, and, and she was one of those. Er, she was one of the 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 title challengers against Valentina Shevchenko that had some early success. Mm -hmm. um, she controlled one of the. I think it was. Um, it might have been the fourth round or something like that where. She she managed to get Maya or managed to get Valentina off her feet and controlled her on the ground, and um, made a real threat of it. Of course, you know, Shevchenko survived the round, got back up, and got back to her winning ways. But that was a real a real showcase of her skills. Mm -hmm. um, since then, she is two and two, uh, and. And she's lost to fighters who have a similar style to O'Neal. Uh, she lost to Manon Fioro, who is also a hot up-and-comer, and Caitlin Chukagian, who has just been around forever, is one of those veteran fighters who, you know, like Modafferi, has been in the game for a long time, but is is physically in a much better condition than Modafferi was at the end of her career. Mm -hmm. Um so I two UD losses 
to uh, Chikagian and Firo back to back. Um, that just makes me think that this new breed of athletic strikers yeah. um, are going to be able to to put it on or stay up uh, and get, you know, stay away from the takedowns, stay away from the ground, put it on her. Um, I think she'll win a convincing decision. This is O'Neal. I think O'Neal's going to win a pretty convincing decision. Yeah, I'm actually surprised the odds are that close. What that suggests is that there's just not enough body of work with O'Neal quite yet. To, and 9-0 and oh yeah. is not a lot compared to what is Maya at 29 yeah. or 20 and nine or something like that yeah she i mean she's yeah. obviously been in a lot longer but i think this is alludes back to what we're talking about with uh Montefiore is is there's really a changing of the guard and we saw this you know 15 years ago in a lot of the divisions with uh, uh the lower weights for men's mma where there you know flyweight where there wasn't a tremendous amount of, of talent very top heavy and then you had this new rush of competitors come in that had uh, had been doing it longer, had a more well-rounded game, and and really had that pedigree of athleticism that you see at the upper mm-hmm. tier. And I think that's really what we're looking at here. Someone like Casey O'Neill, who's the new age, new breed, versus uh, uh, Jennifer Maya is going to, I guess, symbolize, in my mind, the changing of the guard. I completely agree with you. I think Casey O'Neill is going to take this, and I think it's going to be make it look easier than minus 170 suggests. Yeah, that's a good one to go with. Okay. So next fight is Gunnar Nelson, minus 350, versus Brian Barberena. And if you don't know, Brian Barberena was a late sub-in. Do you know how long ago that was? It must have been in the last, like, week and a half. Yeah. And it was uh, Rodriguez, right, that he was supposed to fight? Yeah, it was Daniel, Daniel Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah. D-Rod fought. Um, the last time we saw him, I believe, was against Li Jingliang uh, at UFC 279. That was that was the FUBAR, the- right? Was that the Fubar yes, one? Yes, that yeah. was the uh, Chumayev weightless fiasco. And then Holland yes. came in and – but yeah, yeah, yeah. That I one. think he might have had one in between that, but um, I think that's where – Yeah, and he's, he's a good fighter. People are going to know he's, him a, he's a good fighter. It doesn't matter. He's not fighting. But, uh, you know, one of the, the golden rules that I have in picking my fights is, you know, whoever's coming in on short notice is a significant disadvantage. And so – I guess you know what are your what are your thoughts on Brian Barberena? What do you think he does well? What what do you think he he's going to lack in here? And then let's compare and contrast with Gunnar Nelson. Well, so just like you were saying in the last fight, that's what Brian Barberena did in his last fight against Robbie Lawler. Um, it it was is sort of similar actually. I'll walk that back a little bit. Lawler um, is I think forty at this point and is definitely part of this older generation but really put it on Barbarena in the first yeah. round. He looked crisp. He had better hands. Um, he's You could just tell that he was a veteran, but in the second round, he just couldn't keep it up, and and Barbarena is uh, he's a brawler. They call him Bam Bam, and he went, out, he went out there, and he just overwhelmed Lawler. He just puts on a higher pace. He's stronger. He's more athletic. He hits harder. Um, and he was able to withstand the he's onslaught that Lawler had. He's a lot younger, and he put it on him. Um, I think, I think that he's not going to be able to replicate this. I know that Gunnar Nelson has been around a long time, but he hasn't gotten hit a tremendous amount, and he's also uh, coming off a layoff. So he was. I mean, he fought last year at UFC London, but before that, he didn't fight and sense 
2019. I think he fought Leon Edwards um, pre-pandemic. Um, and so he's been kind of staying on the sidelines, and he's been coaching, he said. I was reading that he focused on just teaching and coaching and training, and and I'm sure you've got experience in this. Teaching is a great way to refine your yeah, own skills. Yeah. Like you really want to know the something, sort of understanding, learn how to teach it. The practiced understanding yep. that you have to have to teach something uh, really reinforces your own ability mm-hmm. to do that thing. And so, when Gunnar Nelson came back, he fought Takashi Sato at UFC London, uh, the first one uh, of the two that we had last year. He looked great. He didn't get any subs, um, which is fine. But man, he was in full Gunnar Nelson form. He has that super defined karate stance um that we see conor mcgregor used to do when he was at 145 uh nelson trains um he does his fight camps at sbg ireland and um he loves this darting in and out kind of striking style um it's sort of similar um he's in the same vein of like striker of grapplers who learn this karate style as a way to keep themselves threatening but safe um ryan hall does this uh the ryan the wizard hall he was a a a jujitsu guy um who like is a pioneer i mean not a pioneer but he's definitely like a a master of the 50 50 guard Mm -hmm. um and and with this like jujitsu pedigree he developed this out fighting striking style that that Gunnar Nelson uses. Um, he does these karate blitzes to get in range and lands one or two really good shots and then changes angles, pivots, and exits out the side door and gets back into his safe range. Um, it's really measured. It's really practiced. It's really technical. Uh, and Nelson's been doing it very well. He's been doing it for um, a long time too, though. He's been doing it, it for a long time. This is not something that he picked up. He wasn't just a, a grappler first, and then came on with uh, with the karate. I mean, he was doing karate, arguably, arguably even before he was doing jujitsu. Is that true? Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's the case. I mean, my my assessment with with these two is, you know, outside of this being a short notice fight. Brian Barberena is going to do really well against the people that are going to be staying in the pocket, that like dirty fighting that he's going to be able to mm-hmm. either trap up against the cage or, you know, go tit for tat one for one with Gunnar Nelson is a master of the in-between. So he's got that long legged stance. He darts in his submissions are absolutely lethal and he also has power. He's very difficult to hit. He's very difficult to time and he's got, um, you know, multiple tools. I've seen him finish fights. I've seen him with, you know, big time elbows. I've seen him knee up the middle. I've seen him uh, knock people out with his hands and I've seen him, you know, kick people into oblivion and then charge in. And he's very, um, he's a very stoic man in general, but he's a non-emotional person. And so this is entirely a chess match to him. And I think that Brian Barberena is going to be absolutely easy pickings because of that. He's not going to yeah, play that game I watched. Yeah, absolutely. I watched Barbarina's fight with um, uh, RDA to try and get uh, you know his a read on him as a as a defensive grappler and how he interacts with that. And and um, despite RDA being a lightweight who went up to one seventy, um, Dos Anjos controlled Barbarina on the ground pretty pretty him. decisively. 
You know, uh, which is not really uh, a knock. There was definitely some RDA is legit. RDA is an incredible yeah. grappler. I think he's like a third degree black belt, um, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, and I saw some good defensive instincts and some good movement. Clearly, Barbarina is is practiced. I think he's, you know, he's no amateur on the ground by any means. But he was purely on def- on the defense when he was on the ground, and and Gunnar Nelson's control on the ground is awesome he, if he gets back control he locks in that body lock and yeah. uh, you know he did it in his last fight Takashi Sato wasn't going anywhere no he didn't get up and he just stood there you know he sat there and he just got punched um, and it wasn't enough to to get a TKO but it was constant there was no chance that the ref was gonna stop them and tell them that they needed to you know make more action it was really you know constant punches from his back you know that that Sato wasn't able to block, and and I totally see Nelson being able to do that again. He does these karate blitzes when he's outside of range, and he can alternate really well between blitzing in, landing strikes, and exiting off an angle and and remaining evasive, or blitzing in, landing strikes, and then um, ducking in on the hips or engaging in a body lock and getting takedowns mm-hmm. from that that body lock the trips or things like that um he has a win over alex cowboy Oliveira with some vicious vicious grounded pound uh when he gets mount top he does those folding elbows really yeah. really well and he yeah he controls position so well where he gets to throw those damaging strikes um i think uh, you're gonna see um some really good jujitsu, some really good control, and you might even see a sub finish from. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, the thing about Gunnar Nelson I like so much is he's very cerebral in his fighting approach, so he doesn't get emotional, and he's got the skills, and and I guess the repetitions in every aspect of the game, and his fight IQ is so high that he's not gonna get in any kind of barn burner, barn burner with Barbarena. That's a mouthful, by the way. Yeah, try yeah. to say that five times fast and so, uh, after getting in a barn burner with Barbarina. <laughs> barn burner Barbarina. So I, I just think Gunnar Nelson's one of my all-time favorite fighters to watch for everything I just mentioned before. Uh, I think he's very unique. He looked early on as a potential title contender. I don't know if that, because it's a big layoff, I don't know if that, that remains true because I haven't seen him against you know elite-level talent since then. But this will be a good litmus test. Uh, you know. But Barbarina coming in short notice very transparent what his game plan is going to be. This is going to be a relatively easy win for Gunnar Nelson. And I agree. I'm not going to call exactly when it happens, but uh, I think this could either go both ways. I think it's going to be definitely a finish. It could be a submission or it could be a TKO from an overexcited Barrena. That's what I think. All right. All right. Next fight, we've got Justin Gaethje plus 195 versus Rafael Fiziev at minus 230. You know, this one is, you know, I find myself having the same problem that I did last episode where I don't know which Justin Gaethje is going to show up. I do. Yeah, like <laughs> we, we get, there's a couple kinds of Gaethje. There was the one that uh, won the World Series of Fighting belt and made his debut against Michael Johnson, who was all forward, all action, total reckless abandon danger zone um and we love him and then there was the i just got 
knocked out twice and Trevor Whitman yelled at me a bunch and told me that even though I was having fun, I was still bad and needed to learn my lesson. Uh, and that Gaethje was the one that knocked out Cowboy and James Vick and Edson Barboza and then had the performance of his life against Tony Ferguson. And, you know, was Tony Ferguson slowing down a little? Um, it, or was that the performance that that took Tony off? That might also be true. But the the footwork and the way that Justin Gaethje is able to put these big, heavy-handed swings from his hips that he loves to do, uh, he pairs them with these looping head movement you know, these like full torso head movement that gets his head out of the way, lets him stay in the pocket and throw like just some of the heaviest shots you've ever seen from a lightweight. Um, that's a really, really dangerous man. Um, but then there's like the Justin Gaethje that fought Khabib or that fought Michael Chandler, who, who kind of overcommits. He's gotten a little bit sloppier, I want to say. The Khabib one I understand because there was, you know, he was punching against this, like, all-present threat of the inevitable takedown. Um, you sure look good with sure the leg kicks, though, on both those guys. You know, my, he's got such incredible And I think kicks. if he and uses those more often, I think he's going to have more success. It's when he gets in the uh, tit-for-tat, give one to take, or take one to mm-hmm. give one, that gets in a problem. And I think that's where he's going to really struggle against Fazeev is Fazeev's power is I mean, dude, that guy's gonna that guy starches people. Unbelievable. Well, and his his power is is one thing. His speed is another thing. And and just because you take one, doesn't necessarily mean you get to give one back. Fazeev has awesome mobility, yep. awesome defense. Um, I you, I'm sure you've seen his famous when he was fighting um, Mark Jacasey earlier in his UFC run. Jacasey threw that big high kick. And Fazeev does the matrix. the matrix lean all the way back. You know, that's a, a, an exaggeration. You know, that's one instance. But yeah. he really does have really good defensive instincts. He's so fast. He's got good footwork. Um, Fazeev is, is an incredible striker. He, what he does um, that is like the hallmark of great strikers is all of his um, his feints. He is constantly pumping out fake shots and mixing in real ones. He he never gets into this like it, uh, this like back and forth pace where he throws a shot and then you throw a shot at him. He's always punching in combination. He's countering in combination, so he'll do pull counters and rather than just one, he you know he'll pull back and immediately follow with you know with a a two three two. Um, or or something like that and he always finishes with kicks he low kicks incredibly he teep kicks really well he throws up high kicks uh, at the end of combinations uh just swings them up there so so quick um and i think if gaethje tries to get in this like you know he always acts like he doesn't like to do it he doesn't he acts like he doesn't like these like big brawls but he does it every time and and if yeah, I just don't think if Gaethje's not on his A game, if he's not listening to everything that Whitman says from the jump, I think he's gonna start to get pieced up. And and it isn't until he gets rocked 
that he starts to use his wrestling, which is what his base is. As you know, as little as he uses it, Justin Gaethje started as a wrestler. And, you know, if he chose to use it, if he chose to get in on Fazeev's hips and hold him against the cage, and, you know, even if he doesn't get him down to the ground, if you just press him back up against the cage and cut off his movement, I mean, he doesn't even have to be in contact with him all the time. Just stopping the 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 in and outs, the lefts and rights, the abilities to spin and and have good distance management. If if Gaethje can crowd Fiziev into a into the cage and limit those those options, he's gonna have a lot more success. And I think that's something he's gonna try and do. But is he gonna like push it into clinch exchanges and takedowns and ground and pound and top control? Like I know he can do it. But will he do it is is a big question. Yeah, I mean, the, the only time I've really seen Gaethje follow a fight plan was against Ferguson. It seems like, and, and he and he did a really did a really good job. What I get concerned about with Gaethje is, you know, he he has a tendency to do really really well against fringe top five fighters, but when he gets into a title a title match or you know a number one contender match, he tends to. It almost seems like he gets nervous, like when you're watching with Khabib, right? He had a lot of success early on with that leg kick and actually hurt Khabib, um, but he seems so nervous and tense that he wasn't able to let everything flow. And then you saw him with Michael Chandler, where they were, you know, there wasn't that level of pressure to, you know, reach his, his end all be all goal, which was to become the champion. And he just let things flow out there. Now, you know, Michael's obviously the perfect dancing partner for that, right? Because he's going to go tit for tat same type of, of skill set, same type of power wrestling. But I mean, it really came down to the leg kicks on that one. So that's the one, the area that I see Gaethje really having an advantage is this, what is the height differential? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, Fazeev's not that tall. Yeah. So he's got, um, he's got some decent range. He's, he's five. Yeah. I've got here. He's five, eight and Gaethje is five eleven. Yeah. So um, he, he's hittable when, when Gaethje is not. It's it's what you said early on in the conversation in your breakdown that is the problem for me. Gaethje needs to take a couple shots in order to hit that next level. A lot like we've seen with uh, you know some other fighters with Cowboy Cerrone, right? A lot of times he's not even really in the fight the first round. Now I wouldn't say Gaethje's not in the fight the first round usually, but he got he gets cracked a couple Maybe times. A slow he has a slow starter. He never really even got off the ground with Khabib. And, um, you know, Fazeev, I think, just hits too hard for that. And I don't know if Fazeev's going to be able to put him out. But, you know, you're going to be able to put Gaethje in a pretty tough space. And and we've both seen what happens when they have those big brawls back and forth, especially in the Chandler fight. Uh, you know, it's like Rock'em, Sock'em, Robin by round three. They're so starched, they're able, they're you know barely able to pull off any type of legitimate move outside of the occasional power shot, uh, and that's why I think he's going to struggle. I, I think that uh, Gage is going to get suckered in to this becoming another brawl, and I think Fazeev is going mm-hmm. to be able to connect with him in the combinations. I think he's going to be a little bit, he's going to be much less hittable than than Chandler was, so he's not going to be the perfect dance partner. And he's going to follow everything up with a kick, and it's the head kicks that really make me nervous with Gaethje because he's so, overcommitting those those looping punches. Yeah, so onto that head kick. I um what what Gaethje did against Chandler 
uh, with those leg kicks. And and I want to say, Mike, I know you're listening. Sorry, we're we're harping on this this loss of yours so much. By the way, we can't wait to see you in the Ultimate Fighter, friend of the show. We're rooting for you, pal. Anyway, what Gaethje does super well is these leg kicks in exchanges. He does them from so close in. Um, he's got this like really technical like arching turn the hip over leg kick that just thuds into the thigh and it's the kind of kick that doesn't make a huge sound and those are the ones that hurt like the slapping loud leg kicks are a little bit showy but the ones that like thud into your thigh and don't make a sound those are killers and and Gaethje can land those kicks from punching range which is inside Fiziev's kicking range. I think that's going to be a, another big target for him. If he can get Fiziev against the cage, he can he can leg kick closer than Fiziev can can hit these switch high kicks and things like that's that. A really, so he's going to really have point, more tools. Actually, cause, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking but, about. But he's going to have to keep it's it like there. It's like a chopping leg um, kick after he throws like a hook or a cross. He just comes mm-hmm, right through behind mm-hmm. it with the leg kick and is almost doing it from inside the pocket. It's it's a it's a kick that not everybody else throws um, because you know to throw that kick you you know it, and Gaethje does this a lot. He's he is either in like attack mode or blocking mode, and so if he's punching, he he does have good head movement, which is good, which he needs. Um, but if he's, if he's punching, he's punching from his chest or from his hips, um, and he's not blocking his head. And if he's blocking, he's in like a, okay, I've decided that I'm going to block right now and take a couple of shots and then I'll start punching again. Basically plays possum against the cage. And so when he's doing those kicks, the reason that you don't see a lot of people do them is because you have to be on one foot twisting your opposite hip in a, a strange angle and you're in perfect head punching distance. Um, and Gaethje's, you know, decided a long time ago that that's a, a you know, and a, a price he's willing to pay. Um, but so, so it's, it's going to be, I think that's going to be one of those points of contention where is this like risky extra damage dealing strategy that puts him at risk? Is that going to pay off? Uh, and is he going to be able to keep that at its most effective with his footwork, with his cage, you know, his pressure, with his, you know, ring craft? Uh, it's, so it's going to take a full Trevor Whitman-powered Gaethje yeah, to we, put on the performance he needs before, to beat to physique. We, we've seen every facet of Justin Gaethje, and nine times out of ten, he's going to be in that game plan. And he's going to go for the knockout and go in for a slugfest. I mean, he, even he's open about talking, talking about, um, you know, he knows he doesn't have a long career ahead of him just because of all the damage that he takes. And now he's going against someone mm-hmm. that arguably will be one of the hardest, if not the hardest hitters in the pocket. And yeah, I mean, I agree if he gets inside, but if he gets inside, he's fighting a shorter fighter who's going to be loving that, you know, you know, Gaethje coming into the pocket and trading with them. And I just think he over yeah, overextends himself a little bit, and I think he's going to pay for it. I think this is going to be a slobber knocker fight. I think it's going to be quite possibly a, a you know um, a fight of the year candidate. Like every, I listened to something. Gaethje yeah, fight. every Gaethje fight, a Gaethje fight. Uh, 
Gaethje has won nine bonuses in seven fights. Nine <laughs> and seven. So almost every fight that he gets into is just an absolute slobber knocker of, of an event which makes it really fun for the fans. He's, like I said in the beginning, he's one of the most watchable, if not, in my opinion, the most watchable fighters uh, in the sport today. But there's a consequence for that, and I think he's going to pay for it against Fazeev. I don't think necessarily he's going to get knocked out because it seems almost impossible to knock that guy out. Uh, but I do think he's going to get pretty pieced up, and he's going to be so exhausted by round three. It's going to be a, a close decision, maybe even a split decision, but I think it's going to go the way of Fazeev. Yeah, I think it's going to be Fazeev too. I think I will say um, the two times that Gaethje has been stopped by strikes were accumulations of damage over f- uh, five-round fights. So I think it was in the fourth round for both Poirier and Eddie Alvarez that they stopped him. So they had a lot more time to build up damage that Fazeev doesn't in just a three-round fight. Um, That's a good and point. Gaethje said that the hardest he's ever been hit was by Charles Oliveira. And and we don't know. Oliveira could have, you know, jumped on him and chose to pound him out, but that's just not Oliveira's style. He jumped on it, you know, jumped on his back and and sunk in that rear naked choke super quick. But I remember in an interview, Gaethje said that the first time he got hit by Oliveira, it felt like he he said he felt like it licked a battery and his whole head buzzed. Um and he got knocked down, but, you know, Gaethje's been knocked down before. I don't know if he goes out in less than three rounds. No. So I, I think I think it might be uh, a, a decision, a, a convincing decision. Okay. Um, I think it'll be a decision by Fazeev. Okay. All right. We're both taking Fazeev on that. All right. Final yeah. fight. The trilogy. Leon Edwards at plus 205 is taking on Kamaru Usman. At minus 245, this is going to be an interesting matchup, man. Uh, it makes you wonder if uh, Usman is one of those fighters when they get knocked out that they're no longer the same that we've seen time and time again in the UFC. I don't think that's going to be the case. What are your thoughts on this fight? Uh, you know, Usman has always said that his greatest weapon is the strength of his mind. He's he's been saying that jab, since he was <laughs> <laughs> He's been saying that, you know, inaccurately as it may be, um top 4 greatest weapons is the, his his mind. I don't think he's going to be shaken. I don't think he's going to be rattled by by this loss. He took it really well. I mean, he took it like a professional. Yeah. Even um, in his interviews he looks good. And he good. was back Yeah. Um it's hard. It's it's hard to use the previous fight to make a ton of judgments. Um, on one hand, yes, Kamaru got knocked out cold. Um, but on the other hand, he was winning that fight. Handedly. He was winning. He won rounds two, three, and four handedly, and he was winning five. Um, on the other other hand, on the third hand of this fight, um. You know, how much of that victory, you know, how much was he aided by fighting at elevation? I think that fight was, that card was in Utah, is in Salt Lake City. And every fight, every fight on that card ended with one or both fighters, excuse me, one or both fighters being 
completely exhausted and totally drained of energy. And it's just because fighting that high up is awful. And Usman trains in Colorado, um, so had a little bit of an advantage there. Um, and, and Edwards was a little sluggish. Um, he didn't move around as much as he has in the past. Um, he did kind of get backed up against the cage pretty easy. Uh, almost backed himself up against the cage a couple of times in rounds two and three. You know, is was that a factor because he was so high, and, you know, and, and needed to conserve his energy? So I don't know how big of a factor that played. So I, I have to kind of look past it and and go on what I can focus on. And what I saw was Kamaru Usman has the most success when, like we've been saying with Gaethje and like we've been saying with Vittori, if he can corral Edwards into the side of the cage. But I think more importantly, he needs to be holding him. He needs to be mat returning him over and over and over again. Uh, Usman's you know, as a as a side effect of his wrestling career, I mean, he's got incredible grappling, incredible top control, great takedowns on the cage. His knees are shot. He's mm-hmm. talked about this. Gaethje's talked about it in interviews. Us- he can't even. He doesn't do road work anymore. Usman doesn't run to get cardio. He has to do like the aerodyne bike because his knees can't handle running on streets anymore because he's got. They're just so trashed. Um, and, and that's affected his takedowns. He doesn't shoot in open space ever anymore. I don't remember. Um, most of his takedowns come from cage presser and, you know, he gets like a body lock or he gets his hands, you know, under the hips, uh, and yeah, pulls the guy he, down. He, gets, you know? he, he, he traps him against the cage with his jab and his forward pressure, gets him into the clinch. Yeah. And, and that's where he does his and, best work. And you're right about his jab. That was something he learned from, uh, you know, working with Trevor Whitman. And I think he just, I think he trains with Trevor Whitman regularly at Onyx. Um, But I was reading that he did go back to uh, Killcliffe, formerly Sanford MMA. Um, I think he just left uh, because Gilbert Burns was also training at Killcliffe. And so he didn't want to train together for their title fight. But I think he has since gone back and he trains there in south florida and in colorado um and and they have an awesome stable of welterweights shavkat rachmanov is there gilbert burns is there um ian gary who's not on the same level as those two um but there are a a ton of uh uh, michael chandler is there at sanford mma too there's a ton of great training partners that he's got um and and combining that you know that work with this super scientific jab that he's got off both stances and and he switches stances, which is really good. Um, he's got really good scientific footwork, but because of those knees, that footwork is really deliberate. He isn't yeah. floating like a butterfly. He's not really fleet-footed at all. He, he's not. He, which he helps his power. Very smart. You know, a lot of times. It does. It's very. He's got smart footwork. He switches stances when he needs to he can shift while he's punching and do some tremendous damage how he put out you know um masvidal in their second fight um his striking is very intelligent very informed um but it 
it he does have to work around some physical limitations that he's got now um and you know and and he had never been taken down before which was um you know in dispute because you know some people thought he got taken down against Colby Covington and and whether he did or not they didn't count it so it didn't you know had to move past it but when Edwards took him down that was uh, early he too, got on the it? back it was in round yeah. one he got double underhooks and did an outside trip uh body I was lock trip surprised went with how well Leon Edwards ve- did uh very surprised yeah. Because Usman but, actually was able he, to, to, uh, or, or excuse me, Edwards was able to thwart the first couple of attempts, if I remember correctly. It's been a little while since mm-hmm. I watched the fight. Well, so I'll say, so, so yes. So the limitations that Usman has, meaning that he has to take down against the cage, he has to do, you know, these like the pull the hips out and, uh, from against the cage and, and trip or, you know, do like a single leg, uh, Th- those are initiated from the clinch and Leon Edwards is a wizard in the mm-hmm. clinch. Um, and he's a wizard in the clinch for the same reason that he's so crafty on the feet is he faints in the clinch really well, just like he faints standing. Um, you know, fake this to get that is like the key to, uh, to Edwards's defense and clinch offense um, you know, pump like clever pummeling at to to get sneaky underhooks. You know, he's just t- like the reason he got that takedown against Usman, and he was the only one to do it, is because he was so tricky in the way that he set it up. He was you know threatening an overhook, pummeled the the opposite hand under, you know, reached down for sort of like you know like a fake knee tap or you know threatening he does these amazing clinch elbows um off the break he hits off the break like no one um it's really really good it's one of his best weapons um but having that allows him to you know threaten it and and re-pummel and get better grips and frame he frames super well too this is um edwards again um so Usman needing to be in the clinch to get these takedowns is sort of feeding into Edwards's game. If he is active, if he is, you know, moving laterally side to side, if he's taking the initiative to stay off the cage and Usman has to keep clinching with him and then trying to drive him to the cage so he can get his takedown, clinching in open space is going to be a a really dangerous position for Usman. Even though he's such a strong I think grappler, Leon's I think avoid uh, clinching in the in the open space, though. And and I and I agree with your your one point that you not I agree with more than one point, but one of the things you mentioned is like the setting, yeah, the the setting up. What, you know, Leon Edwards when he's faced with a really high level talent, he sets up his shots starting in round one, and that's really how he got that 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 TKO head kick. You know, he was he was pumping the jab out there, and where you know he was used to to throwing the right or I guess uh, Usman was was used to fielding a right cross he dipped his head to the right and that's when he was met with that that lead leg head kick that took him out mm-hmm. and so you know Leon Edwards is a really intelligent fighter in there he doesn't have a really marketable personality so a lot of people don't really know a lot about him I think uh 
I forget which camp it was, but he came and trained. Uh, it might have been ATT or AK, I think it was, no, it was AKA. And nobody ever really knew who he was because he went in there, and this was earlier on, this is several years ago. He mm-hmm. would go in there and um, leave, you know, right at the end of the 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 the, uh, the practice session. No one really talked to him, um, so he's a really quiet, quiet guy. Uh, I don't know why I brought that part of it up, but a lot of people just don't know what his skill set is. And Usman, and you're right, and this is one thing I wasn't really factoring in too much is, you know, what are the long term ramifications for him at this point in career? I guess near term at this point you know, with his knees because he's going to be so reliant upon getting pressure up against Leon to get him up against the cage to be able to get these takedowns, to have that success. You know, I I feel like that leaves a lot of gaps for Leon Edwards to be able to take advantage of. And yeah, he was getting pretty beaten handedly uh, in in the first fight and in rounds two, three, and four. But there was, there was some nerves. I remember watching that fight because I, I was, you know, heavy on Usman and I was like, Leon Edwards looks like he could win this even with the grappling aspect of it in certain ways, right? Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's able to nullify Usman in a lot of in a lot of facets right now. So I'm curious how that's going to impact. I'm curious how the altitude is going to impact. I'm curious how it's going to be impacted by the fact that he's fighting in front of his home crowd this time. Um, and I think that he's somewhat created a game plan on how to beat Usman, which means you got to be really good wrestler or you got to have really good takedown defense. And you got to be able to threaten when he gets in close. You got to be able to spin off with counter elbows. And you got to be able to set things up. And you got to do it from the beginning of the fight all the way to the end of the fight. And that's the best way to beat Kamara Usman. I don't know if it's a foolproof plan, but I, I could see it happening. I, I think the odds are a little bit skewed for Usman right now from nostalgia. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I think you made a lot of really good points, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on a couple of those, the, the setting the traps, setting the feints, and 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 building building as you go throughout the fight is what Edwards is gonna need to do. There are going to be repeated. There's going to be instances that repeat over and over again throughout the fight, and those are gonna be things like when Kamaru is on attack mode. He loves to do these like big swinging shots to the body. He does mm-hmm. great body work. It's hellacious. But those big swings, I've I've watched him. He cranks some of those things. And just like Justin Gaethje, he gets a little bit out of position. Like he overcommits to land these heavy shots to the body. And he's just not as fast as Usman or as Edwards is. Um, I don't know if he was never as fast as Edwards, but he's certainly not as fast as him on the feet now. And if he gets into prolonged striking exchanges and Edwards can draw those over commitments when Ed Usman is trying to get something back, I think that's going to be something that Edwards picks up on really quickly. And he's going to be able to start fainting, bait those over commitments and punish them. Uh, when Usman makes those 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 errors, so for Usman, what he needs to do, and and I know it's not fan friendly. I th- the best way for Usman to fight here is the way he beat Jorge Masvidal the first time at Fight Island. He needs to be attached to Leon Edwards, 
the whole but time. He, gonna, he needs to be against the cage. Because I, I think that's the one thing that a lot of us are overlooking is a lot of Usman's success comes off of his jab, right? It gets so, set up with his jab. So, yes. And I don't think he's going to have that so, ad- yes. that, that, this advantage. And especially now, I mean, Leon Edwards has had four rounds to diagnose, you know, what went white, what went poorly. And, um, you know, if if Usman's not as fast as Leon Edwards, he's not going to be able to push him back because of the footwork. And he doesn't have a way to get the, the big body shots that you're talking about because he can't set him up with the jab in his face. Then... I, like I said, there, there's a lot of holes here that I don't know. I don't know how this fight's going to go. I do, so I, I wrote down here um, that I, I have a little paragraph here. If the most important part of Edward's game is his constant use of feints and misdirections, Usman needs to control for absolutely as much time as possible. He should aim to win in an extremely boring UD like Masvidal won. If he wants to go ham with some swarming strikes, he can, but they need to be short enough that Leon doesn't have an opportunity to work his own stand-up game, to set traps, to make reads, to Did you write all to that punish out? errors. Yes, this is this wow. is this is in my notes. Wow. And then I have be disruptive. And that's what I uh, when you mentioned Usman's jab just recently, that's what he needs to do with that jab. I don't know if he's going to be able to use his jab offensively but i think he needs to be able to use that jab defensively when he is out in space that jab needs to cut edwards offense off he needs to stop combinations he needs to stop engagements and clinches with that jab to so that he can start to initiate his own grappling because from rounds two three and four you know the altitude notwithstanding usman was able to hold edwards against the cage take him down, wait for him to get back up, Matt return him, and control. And it wasn't the most thrilling, but that's how Usman had... That's I mean, he did dominate those three rounds. Everybody gave him those three rounds. If he can keep that, and and if he has to break off, you know, break away, land two or three, maybe, you know, of those heavy body shots or, you know two to the body, one up top, and then re-engage immediately. You can't be in a standing exchange long enough for Edwards to start to work this incredibly tricky, sneaky, dangerous striking game. It's got to be grind, 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 break, bang, 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 grind, grind, grind. And he's got to keep that up, I think, for all five rounds. Um, you know what's going on over here? With because right otherwise... Now? I'm starting What's to convince on? myself. So I originally had Usman as the winner. I'm starting to convince myself. Oh that yeah, Leon Edwards might be the right pick here. You I, know, I, I, I. Sorry, I hate to say it because yeah, Usman's one of my all-time well, favorite ev- fighters. But uh, for everything I said there, he has to be able to do all those things, and you were right. Those are not easy to do. Especially with how fast with how fast Leon is, and how especially hard with he how hits. you know how hard he hits, how deceptive his strikes are, how clever his pummeling and and his clinch grappling is, how you know punishing those elbows on the I break. I think we can take are, a lot of the clinch grappling out of the equation because that's going to be everything he's going to be avoiding. I think he's going to want to stay on the yeah. outside, 
as much mm-hmm. as possible mm-hmm. or try and connect with Usman as he's coming in because Usman's definitely going to be the pressure fighter. But that big, long jab, I mean, I just don't think I don't think that's going to work all that well. And, and you're right, he doesn't have that, that fast shot, that fast double leg that he would need to get to get Edwards to the ground in space. So everything's going to be predicated on on him getting him up to the fence, which means he's got to have the tools to get him up to the fence, which means he's got to have a jab working, which means he's got to be threatening. Mm-hmm. The, I think this is going to go into the fifth round, and I think the fifth round is going to decide this fight. I do too. That's what I well, think. Who do you think it's going to be? that's who i think we'll tell we'll tell Um, you next week (laughs) yeah yeah just like the john jones one that we picked 100 percent. i think there's gonna be some nostalgia i mean i said the exact same words for john jones i think there's some you know we all want usman to be what he was before he got put out by leon edwards because it looked like a fluke it totally looked like a fluke Mm -hmm. but i don't think it the more we assess it, I don't think it was a fluke. I I think he was losing significantly, but that setup was perfect. That's a lot that's a lot to judge a fight on though. Or excuse me, that's very mm-hmm. little to judge a fight on. But it also You're taking a lot of liberties yeah, it also, trying to make a whole judgment yeah, with just that. It's it speaks volumes though about his capabilities. I don't know who I'm gonna take. I don't know who I, I should take in this one. Um I if I was like a betting man, I probably wouldn't put money on this one. But uh, did I ever tell you that I did bet on on the last one? Oh, you did. So did I. Yeah, I bet. I bet like a dollar because <laughs> uh, Edwards has a habit of of kind of like falling off in the fifth round. Um, it, it happened against Nate Diaz, and he almost a lot. He put on a clinic against Nate. For four and four rounds and then four minutes. And then the last minute of the last round, he got clocked with that one two because he was getting lazy. And if Diaz wasn't showboating and mm. and doing his Diaz thing, he he probably could have got him out of there. Uh and and so like in my head I think, oh, Leon he slacks in the in the fifth round. He doesn't he doesn't maintain. So I just bet fifth round finish. Uh, because I assumed Usman was going to put him out in the fifth round, and then what do you know? I was right, and I made like seventeen dollars off a wow. of one dollar bet. Like, what do you know what the <laughs> odds on that would be? But yeah, I I don't know. I'm you know I'm gonna okay. You go first. I'll go. I'll go right after you. Who are you gonna take? Uh, uh, Usman. Okay, but I'm not happy about it. Uh, I'm taking Edwards. I know. <laughs> Screw it. All right, there you go. Yeah, that's uh that's an interesting one. All right, so and if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you shouldn't be confident either. No, you really shouldn't be. The odds <laughs> the odds are not are not as far away as they they suggest. I think there there there's definitely a, a case in point for either of those, but all right. Well, we covered UFC 286. Okay, let me is, is there what's the next when UFC 287 when's that? If that's UFC in two weeks, I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep up with all of that. I'd have to check. I think 287 is... Is that... Dariush and Oliveira? I'd have to check. Uh, 
have to check. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. All right. Well, that being said, hey, uh, thank you for all the all the hard work you put in. Always great assessment. Uh, love hearing all all your takes on it. You're really good at the at the breakdown. Um, that being said, I appreciate yeah, it. absolutely. Uh, thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to us. I hope you enjoy the fight. It's going to be a great fight week, and then we will be back for UFC 287. And in the meantime, that is April 8th. It is uh, Alex Pajeda versus Israel Adesanya okay. four. Okay. Four. Oh, you're right. Because the other uh, four yeah. in the gotcha. general sense. All right. Well, again, thank you, everyone. Much appreciated. Enjoy the fights, and we will see you soon enough. Have a good one.